0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from John's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They replied, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, "'Boys, don't you have any fish?' "'No,' they answered. He told them, "'Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' So they cast the net out. Then they were not able to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' When Simon Peter heard, It is the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about one hundred yards. When they stepped out on land, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and hauled the net to land, full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three of them. Yet even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and also the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Please be seated. Fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, our risen and our powerful Lord. According to the eyewitness accounts that have been handed down to us in Scripture, Jesus appeared in his glorified state no fewer than 12 times in those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Why? Why? Why did Jesus hang around on this broken earth after they had just put him to death, right? Why didn't he just declare, mission accomplished, I'm going back home, I'm going back to be with my Father in his glory in heaven. Well, all of Jesus' appearances serve to proclaim one all-important truth. As Paul pointed out in Romans, he says, "...he was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised to life for our justification. So each and every one of Jesus' resurrection appearances proves that single most important truth of the Bible, of the Gospel, time and again, that we have been justified. That we have been made right with God. That He has taken away all of our sins, and that heaven now stands open. That is the the single most important takeaway that we should find in all of Jesus' resurrection appearances. But each of his resurrection appearances also seems to have a more particular, a more specific purpose. For example, when he appeared to the women, it was so that they would go and tell the disciples who were locked in a, a house out of fear of the Jews, that they would go tell them that Jesus had risen. Or when Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, It was to assure them, to confirm for them, all of this had to happen. I had to suffer, I had to die, I had to rise again. It's all right there in the Old Testament. This all had to happen. It wasn't some tragic accident. Jesus appeared to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee to specifically give them the Great Commission to tell them to go and gather disciples from all nations, baptizing them and teaching everything that I have commanded you. So the purposes of those, each of those instances seems pretty clear. Today, though, Jesus invites his disciples to a fish fry. What could possibly be the point of that? I always chuckle a little bit when I hear John's or Peter's words here, right? Don't you? I'm going fishing. I mean, it sounds so out of character in Scripture, right? We think of Scripture as being very divine, very. Glorious, and Peter says, I'm going fishing, and the rest of the disciples go with him. Isn't that strange? Don't you think you would have better things to do than go fishing? Like, say, preach the gospel? But actually, not. Actually, he's doing exactly what he should be doing. Remember, Jesus told the women to go and tell the disciples, Tell them to go to Galilee and wait for me. There I will appear to them. And so they had obeyed the Lord's command. They were in Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. That's actually uh, the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee are the exact same thing. And they're doing, they're waiting for Jesus, and they do what a lot of men do to pass the time. They, they go out and they go fishing. As professional, formerly professional fishermen, they know that the best fishing is typically at night. It wasn't on this night, though. It's when the morning breaks, though, that things really get interesting. Boys, you don't have any fish A mysterious figure calls to them, no. I'm sure they were glad that he rubbed salt in their wounds. They answered, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, if you know any avid fishermen, you know that they tend to be a prideful and stubborn bunch, that they don't typically take kindly to some stranger, a non-professional, giving them advice on how to fish. But the disciples take the advice of this mystery figure and they throw their nets on the other side of the boat, the right side of the boat, and they end up catching more fish than they can handle. They can't, all seven of them, they can't pull in the nets. Now if this miracle sounds familiar, it's because it is. Way back in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus initially called them to be his apostles, he did this exact same thing. There are a couple of differences, though, the the biggest being that the nets broke in that case. In this case, the nets didn't break. Jesus is sending a a powerful message here. He's teaching them a very important lesson. Did you catch what that lesson was? It's a lesson that the disciples should certainly have learned by now, especially since this was was the second time that Jesus gave them more fish than they could handle. There are a lot of strange and far-fetched theories about interpreting what this miracle meant. There are some who believe that, well, the left side of the boat represents the Jews, and the Jews, they're resistant and and rejectful of the gospel. They don't want to be caught. And then the right side represents the Gentiles who are just ripe for the picking. They're flocking into the, the net of the kingdom of God. I've even read some commentators who say, there's a political message here. You don't want to be on the left, you want to be on the right. No liberalism in Christchurch. only conservatives. And of course, all of that is just absolute foolishness. So instead of trying to concoct an explanation on our own, why don't we let Scripture do that for us? You know what Psalm 127 says, right? If the Lord does not build the house, it is useless for the builders to work hard over. Or as Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you will do nothing. That was a powerful lesson, the powerful teaching message that Jesus was sending to his disciples with this miracle that apart from him, they're not going to accomplish anything. Not, Not even catching fish for breakfast, much less making disciples of all nations. What are you trying to accomplish in your life? Right now, Are you, like the disciples, just trying to put food on the table? Is that a struggle these days for you with, with rising gas prices and inflation? I was just reading this morning that in Washington, D.C., a dozen donuts would cost $57. Can you imagine that? Maybe you're struggling with your finances. Maybe you're not so healthy and you're trying to fight your way back to health. Maybe you are facing the very daunting task in the 21st century of raising Christian children in a world that, as we said before, seems to have gone absolutely mad. Where up is down and left is right, and boys are girls and girls are boys. It's a monumental challenge to raise Christian children in this age. Maybe you're beyond that. Maybe you're just trying to age gracefully. Maybe you're wondering what the Lord has planned for you in these retirement years. Maybe you're wondering how to deal with the fear of death as it grows one day closer each morning. Maybe you're wondering how you can leave a fine Christian legacy for your family. Whatever you are seeking to accomplish in your life right now, Jesus' message is loud and clear. Apart from him, you will do nothing. Apart from him, all of your best attempts will accomplish nothing. Apart from him, you will drop your net and it will be empty. Apart from him, to be completely blunt, your effort, your intention, your energy is absolutely useless. You on your own can't do anything. And I know that sounds really harsh. Why would Jesus be so blunt to show us that we're worthless? Why would he tear us down like that? Because he knows how likely we are to search for all sorts of different sources of aid than to go to him. He knows how quick we are to, well, if I don't know how to do something, you know what I'll do? I'll just Google a a DIY video to try to help me out. Or I'll go search for help from a friend or a doctor or a therapist. Or if you, you're you're trying to accomplish something and you don't seem to be getting anything done, you might just throw up your hands and say, forget it, I'm done. Now, that is especially sad when it comes to parenting. For parents who throw up their hands and say, that's it, I'm done, I'll just pay someone else to raise my children for me. The message, though, is loud and clear. That when we are struggling to accomplish what it is we want in our life, apart from Jesus, we're not going to be able to do it. That the very first place we should go is to him who offers us, who invites us. Call upon me on the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. That's a lesson that Jesus was teaching those disciples and us. For them in the future, life would get difficult. And he's saying, you better call on me because you can't do without me. To each of us, he's saying, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish in life right now, call on me first, not last, first. I will deliver you and you will honor me. The next couple of verses are kind of a character study of the the two most important disciples, Peter and John, right? John is, is like the quiet contemplative disciple and he's the first one to recognize Jesus. Peter is the bold, rash disciple, the one who jumps out of a perfectly good boat and swims to shore. And maybe there's a small lesson there for us, that Jesus can use all kinds of fishermen, all kinds of disciples in his kingdom. Whether you view yourself as quiet and contemplative or rash and bold and impulsive, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. Let's get back to the text because Jesus isn't done showing his power here. When they stepped out on land, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus said to them, come, eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. What's the big burning question here? What the 153 fish symbolize? Or maybe how could Peter... Pull the net up on shore all by himself when seven grown men couldn't pull it into the boat. Or maybe, why were they afraid to ask Jesus who he was? Well, in the 153, I don't think we ought to see anything more than just that this event was so ingrained into John's mind that he even remembered the exact number of fish that were caught that day. Peter's strength. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe he was just all pumped up and happy to see his Savior. Or maybe it's just easier to pull a net on shore than it is on a tipsy-toppy boat. What about why were the disciples afraid to ask Jesus who he was? Well, I think for one, the miraculous catch removed all doubt, didn't it? They didn't need to ask. Only Jesus, their risen Savior, could possibly do those things, perform that miracle? Those aren't really the big questions, though. It's easy to get caught up in them and in those details. The big question is, where did the fish and the fire and the bread come from? The answer is simple, but it's also profound. The risen Lord powerfully, miraculously provided it. There are those who 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 picture Jesus as walking around with a fishing pole, and he caught a fish when the other disciples couldn't. I don't think that's likely. This is a miracle. It's Jesus again sending a powerful message, telling his disciples, listen, you've fished all night again, catching nothing, and me with just my almighty power could produce a meal for you to eat. He's telling them, you need to trust in me to provide, and I will Provide what you need. And they would really need to remember that message as they move forward. After they were commissioned to take the gospel to all nations, they would need to know that Jesus would provide. Because they would face hostility and persecution. They would face poverty and hunger and danger. And they needed to remember, just as Jesus provided this little breakfast on the the beachfront there on the Sea of Galilee, He's going to provide for us even if we can't tell how He's going to do it. And He did, didn't He? The book of Acts tells us how much the Lord provided for His disciples. When they were put on trial before the Sanhedrin, Jesus gave them the very words that they should say to defend themselves. When they needed food... Jesus provided open homes. He provided believers who opened their homes to these disciples to take care of their physical needs. When they needed proof that the message that they brought was genuinely from heaven, Jesus gave them the ability to perform miracles, to validate their message. Jesus said, I will provide, and he did. Isn't that the hardest thing for us to trust, though? that Jesus will provide, that he will keep his promise to provide everything that we need for our bodies and lives. Just consider how much time we spend each day worrying about our food, what we will eat, our clothing, what we will wear, or our shelters, or our finances, or our nest eggs. Even though Jesus says, my Father knows that you need those things and he will provide them for you when you need them and what you need. Isn't it shameful, though, how much more time we spend worrying and stressing and agonizing rather than coming to the Lord in prayer? Actually, it's more than shameful. It's sinful. It is breaking the second commandment. It is not using God's name to call on Him when we are in need of trouble. It is a sin to put Him last instead of first when we are in trouble. The Lord will provide. Remember this little fish fry next time you think you won't. Next time you're agonizing, next time you can't go to sleep at night because you're so worried about something in your life. Remember this fish fry and see that Jesus can provide. And that's guaranteed because he's already taken care of your greatest problem. He already lived a perfect life in your place where he never worried, where he always went to his Father first to provide. And he gives you that robe of righteousness to cover over all your worry and all your doubt and all of your stressing. All those things you know you shouldn't do, but you do every day. He's already taken away all of your sins, nailing them to the cross so that God no longer sees you as some uh, doubtful, stressed out, worried disciple. Now he sees you as a perfect, trusting child. A child who, who like a, you know, little children, are so trusting, who will, who will jump off a ledge into their parents' arms. That's how the Lord sees you now. Next time something threatens to stress you out, to make you worry, remember this little fish and trust that Jesus will provide. John ends this rather abruptly, doesn't he? He says, This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Perhaps it's good to note that there's no discrepancy between these three appearances and the twelve. John is only listing Jesus' appearances to the inner circle of disciples. So the the first two were were on Easter Sunday night in that locked room, and then a week later in that same room. And then this is the third one. What's the point? Why, Why did John record this? Is he just showing us, hey guys, I can count to three? No, there's a message here. It's so important, but maybe so we've taken it for granted that we don't even notice it. What's this final point that John is making? Jesus is still risen. If Jesus had only appeared once, we could discount that as a hallucination, a delusion. The disciples are just seeing something. Or maybe one of those other uh, fake theories that people have developed over time To explain away Jesus' resurrection. That oh yeah, maybe Jesus really did have a twin brother who was in hiding until he was crucified. And then later that twin brother came out pretending to be Jesus. If it was just once, but Jesus appeared over and over and over again to remove any doubt from his disciples' minds. Jesus, the one who was so shamefully tortured and beaten and hung on a cross, he's not dead. The same Jesus who cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's alive. The one who descended into the depths of hell to suffer its horrors for us is walking and talking with his disciples. His body is not clothed with decay as as every other human body will be when it dies, but rather with so much glory that the disciples are afraid to even ask him who he is. Jesus is not dead. He is still risen. Recognize what that means for you right here and now. It means your sins are forgiven. You walk out those doors with a clean record. It means that Jesus goes with you wherever you go. It means that God is satisfied that you don't have to try to earn his favor. It means that heaven is open and Jesus is there right now preparing a place for you. It means that Jesus will provide. Even if it doesn't seem like it, even if every time you stop at the gas pump it hurts a little bit more, even if you pay $57 for a dozen donuts, although I don't don't suggest doing that, He will provide. And that is powerful comfort for us today. The Holy Spirit never caused men to spill ink for no reason. And this miracle today is no exception. This miracle proves Jesus' power. His power to teach important lessons, His power to provide everything that we need, and His power to comfort us. But all of these details that we talked about, it all leads down, it all boils down to this one main point. Jesus is still risen. Jesus lives He lives to bless us with his love. He lives to plead for us above. He lives to take care of our every need. Jesus lives. Amen.